Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Freddie, also known as 99, and we have a returning guest, someone you may have heard of from last week. What's up, man? How's it going? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you today, Freddie? Doing good. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, if people are first listening to your beautiful voice on this episode. Absolutely. My name is Philip J. Woodward, and I am some guy on the internet. There's a lot of people on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also one of these guys on the internet, on the interwebs, you may say. <laughs> yeah, um, I just, uh, I like to interview people, and I like horror movies, so here I am. Yes, and we appreciate you for being on this episode, just like last week's episode, and you've done one other episode with Prince, so that means we definitely have to get you back to do an episode with David. That's a must. Absolutely. You have to talk to all of the nights, and you got your night name last time we talked. Do you want to yes. do you want to announce it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So we were talking about uh, my last name being uh, the protector of trees. Mm-hmm. And so we thought a forest night would be um, a good choice. Another reason that I was thinking about it after the show, I live in the redwoods. Oh, so, yeah. you know, it works. It works. Oh, that's perfect. And you better protect those redwoods. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's the protector. Uh, but yes, we are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question, why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. Before we get our show started, we have a couple shoutouts for our patrons. Let me go down the list. A big, big thank you for everyone who does this for us. Uh, we really appreciate you. You help keep the lights on in the office and stuff like that. We wouldn't have been anywhere near where we're at if it wasn't for you. So we have Legion Podcast, Lizzie, Josh, Vaughn, Alexis, Johnny, Layla, Dylan, Eric, Kelly, Brina, Daniel, Cheyenne, David, great guy. I actually know David. He's a really good guy. Uh, we have Carrie, Stu, Anna, Stephanie, Calvin, Andrew, Thomas, Gilroy, great guy, the Silent Night himself, Scary Stuff Podcast, Samantha, Patrick, uh, Willow, my sister Jessica, Sandy, Jared, Jasmine, Chantel, Ryo, Jesse, Joe, Kaylee, Rob, Eric, Daylin, myself, and Yvonne and Lola. Thank you so much for subscribing to our Patreon and having that exclusive content. I do apologize we don't have a post show for this month, but we will get back to our regular pod, uh, podcast post show very soon. So yeah, huge shout out to them. And we're talking about a very special movie today. Some movie that I have not seen since it probably first came out. It definitely felt like a first time watching. We kind of talked about that outside of the podcast. And it is called 1408. First or foremost, thoughts. Well, my first thought is, did did you say the whole thing where, you know, you say nights with a what? And then we both, oh, and we both go. What? Oh. Uh, <laughs> You know what's really funny? Okay, so I do apologize, and I know a lot of people love to say that's night with a K. Uh, I re-edited the intro because I was doing interviews earlier today with, uh, well, you guys will probably know that we'll have a bunch of interviews coming out alongside with these podcast episodes for Spooky Season, but I did edit that out for some reason. 
No so, worries at all. I was just making sure I didn't miss it. So, real quick, if you want to support us and listen to more spooky content, if you go to patreon.com slash nightlight underscore pod, that's night with a what? K. Thank you for bringing me back on that. Absolutely. But yes, 1408. Uh, what do you think about it? Man, this is a wild movie. It's It feels definitely feels like a movie of its time. That's true. And, uh, it is. It's a lot of fun. I enjoyed my time with it. I definitely feel like I've never seen this movie, and then I definitely remember it's like, oh, I've seen this movie. Where there's some like interesting moments in the movie where it's like, okay, I definitely watched it and I understood it. So it was really cool revisiting this movie because it felt like a first time watch. And shout out to John Cusack. He's a really good actor. I feel like he does have a really great emotional range with what he's able to do on screen. And the dynamic stuff that he has with his like wife and his daughter in this spooky room of 1408. And then even like the management back and forth. It's a very witty conversation that they have in the very beginning. And he just really sells the role very well, in my opinion. And for a movie, yeah. For a movie that's like 75% just him, yeah. I think he does a great job. But there are definitely moments when he's just chewing up the scenery, and I love it. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh he's a very interesting character in this movie. Um he does a lot of things where like I don't agree with as a character. It's like, why are you doing this? Why? But at the same time, it's very engaging. And I feel like this movie isn't scary. I think that's the only thing I have to say about this movie though. That's like a little bit on the downfall, is that I was not scared for the runtime of the movie, but at the same time I loved what was going on. Yeah, there's like one moment where he is looking across the street and then something comes from behind him. And that's probably the one moment in the movie where I, I you know, got surprised at a kind of like a jump scare moment. Right. Uh, yeah. But that, yeah, I agree with you. That's about the only time I got scared. I, I, yeah, we'll talk about that scene. I think that was the only time I got scared as well. Uh, and it's a really good jump scare. It's very effective. And then there's one thing that happens in the vent that's kind of spooky as well. But we'll get there as oh, well. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, there, but I agree with you. Like, even though all these terrible things are happening in, through, it, to him through the runtime of this movie, there's not a lot that really happens to him. There is no real threat of danger for the most part. Right. And I feel games. like that's, yeah, I feel like that's kind of expressed towards the end of the film when you finally rap on it and it something happens. Uh, we'll, we'll get to it. Uh it like kind of proves that the room's not necessarily trying to kill him. So it does kind of take away a little bit of of that tension. And I do like that. There's a very psychological symbolic approach of this movie as well as like 1408 is kind of like his own mind and how he Mm -hmm. feels and how he's dealing with his trauma and being able to run away or like, um, use alcohol as a leverage to like forget the past and numbing himself out and constantly on the move, going to different locations, looking for something spiritual to connect him with his dead daughter in a way. Um, yeah, absolutely. Great. Like it's, it's a deep movie when it wants to be, but yeah, surface and- level, it kind of like falls to like just things happening. But like you said, no real threat level. Absolutely. And it is him definitely dealing with trauma for sure. Yes. And man, a lot of movies are. And that's what I love about the horror genre, though. It dives deep into something that people can really connect with and see in a symbolic way, but also have that entertaining aspect of this is still a spooky, scary movie, which is awesome. 
Yep. But yeah, further forward, let's jump into it. So 1408 is directed, and I'm going to butcher this, Mikhail Hafström? Sure. Uh, release date, <laughs> June 22nd, 2007, with a runtime of 1 hour 44, and there was another runtime of an hour 52, so I think there might be another version of this. Hmm. Uh, budget of $25 million. Box office, $133 million, and a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. I was surprised by that. That's a really high score, especially for a horror film. Yeah, I mean, for uh, how much we gushed over Insidious, it's kind of surprising that this is so much higher, right? Because it was oh, like 60-something. Um, yeah, it's definitely interesting. And I can see it. I mean, it's got a great cast. It's got some really fun, cool special effects and like different things that are happening. Um, you know, a lot of it's practical, which I thought was interesting. Yes, I, um, I love the set design. The set design is really top tier. Yeah, the room really becomes a character in this movie, so I can definitely see why people enjoy it as much as they do. I love that the movie was able to make a room a character in general. That's cool. Yeah, it had personality Absolutely. and it had a little sass to it, too. Uh, but yeah, the movie opens up on a rainy night with a car driving down the road. A simple 1408 title card appears in Misty Texture. We cut to Mike, sitting in his car listening to a preacher as he reads a sign that says, You are now leaving Fairfield County. The uh, the preaching continues about the damnations as he reverses back and goes the other direction, arriving at the Weeping Beach Inn. He gets out of the car, crossing the bridge to the main entrance. He walks in and puts his coat away. He greets the clerk at the door, and he is... And the clerk is starstruck when he reveals his name. His uh, wife kind of comes out of nowhere and says it's an honor having him. Before he can get another word out, the clerk begins to tell the history of the haunted inn, (laughs) explaining that even a maid hung herself in the staircase. Hey, welcome to this place. You know, it's going to be nice and cozy. By the way, the maid killed herself in the staircase. This gives you the idea that he came here for a reason. And I think this exposition is pretty good. Uh, obviously he's just tired and wants to get the thing over with. He's been driving for a while. He uses a map, which in 2007, we had GPS oh, for sure. So I don't know why he's still using a paper map. Too expensive. <laughs> Too expensive. Can't trust technology. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it definitely does a great job of um, telling you that he's supposed to be there and he's there for a reason. And they're excited to have him there. Uh, and it's it's a pretty funny scene. I, yeah. I laugh pretty hard here. It's funny because it, his wife kind of like just pops in. It's like, hey, how's it going? Uh, yeah, it's exactly. like, it's an honor. And he's like, honey, honey, come here. Right. Come here. <laughs> it's very like cartoonish in a way. But at the same time, yep. it's cool to see a little bit of the, the character development. It's like, oh, he's a popular person so far, but we don't know what. And then we get a little bit more almost immediately too. But um, he explains that he wants to stay in one of the rooms that has the most activity the third floor being it, where it used to be the servant's quarter, where a woman named Sylvia had children who have died there from tuberculosis. He grabs the keys and says, well, we shall see what the night brings. And I love that. He has a very confident, cocky attitude for the work yeah, he's that he does. he's very cynical. Yeah. He, he just like straight to the point. It's like, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, he gets into the room and places a single cigarette on the ashtray. He gets the mini alcohol bottles from the drawer and begins drinking them. He paces around the room and inspects everything. Finally, laying on his bed, he puts his hat on and falls asleep. 
cut to the next morning, he drives on the road in the day during the day and records a few audio journal thoughts. He arrives at a bookstore and says he's there for the big event. He explains that he is there for the book signing and he's the author. That's when the worker goes on the PA system announcing the event itself. <laughs> I thought this was another comedic moment as well, too. Oh, it was so good. It made me laugh because the guy was just so droning. He's like, oh, cool. This uh, supposed big writer is here, everybody. <laughs> it, this, this was a very interesting way to start a movie. It's, it's all like the people who interact with him just is what makes the scene happen. And it's kind of funny yeah, seeing it, that. It's such a huge info dump, but it's also super entertaining to watch all the way up until, you know, we start to get to the the point where he goes to the hotel. Right. Like all this We're stuff. We're getting all just, of his backstory essentially right now. Yeah. It's like, cool, you're popular. I found that out in the first location. Second location, <laughs> bookstore. Oh, you're an author. That's why you're popular cool you were in a haunted place i'm gonna guess you write haunted stories and yeah. <laughs> there we go we're in um so we cut to the event with only a few people in attendance he says a few words and says stay scared which is kind of a cool little phrase little one night liner yeah all right guys stay scared what is it? it's like yeah a totally youtube vibe in my I was mind about to like say, obviously he's gonna have a podcast you- one day <laughs> Yeah, YouTube YouTube is pretty small at this point still, you know, uh, but man, it's perfect. Like, yeah, I can totally see him talking about right. it later on. Don't forget on. to like, like and subscribe and stay scared. Yeah, 2014, <laughs> like and subscribe and stay scared. It, like, it's perfect. It's perfect. Um, as he says that, he begins to doing the book signing and the lady asks what's the scariest place he, uh, he stayed at. He jokes for a bit and then says Bar Harbor. That's where a couple wedding murders happened, and he explains more places with more tragic stories. Someone asks about Poltergeist, and he goes into detail that he's a professional, and we cut to a few edits of his equipment that he uses. He expresses that he hasn't seen any ghosts yet. A person then asks where he can see a real ghost, and I'd love <laughs> this answer. He's like, "If uh, a real one, right? And he's like, yeah. He says, the haunted mansion in Orlando. Which so probably the first time I watched it, I probably didn't get that joke. But now that I'm like within the spooky community, I kind of know like, oh, Orlando Haunt. The yeah, it's funny. It's good. The Haunted Mansion. Good. Uh, a woman comes up to him and says that he has a lot of clever writing, and he signs a book called The Long Road Home, a book that he's impressed that someone has. She explains that she found it on eBay and that no one was really buying it, which is kind of funny again. Uh, says it's an amazing book and she introduces herself as Anna she asks if he's writing another book like this and he says no then she asks about the relationship of the father and the son in the book and it's very interesting that it's the father and the son in the book Mm -hmm. like he switched it out if like the relationship was real or if it's true so something interesting about this is when I was watching the movie Mm -hmm. at first I thought it was about him and his father, like his literal, like oh, what, what happened okay. to him as a kid. And it was his experience and he wrote about it. But later on in the movie, I, when they, cause they bring it up again with, I think Samuel L. Jackson brings yeah. it up. And then I was like, wait, is this him as the father? And he changed, you know, his daughter to son. Perhaps. And I don't know if they ever go into it. They don't talk about it ever. Uh, again. It's enough just to moments. really get a bearing on it. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. The movie does leave a little stuff unanswered, but at the same time, it's like you can kind of get the hint that it's something, a personal story that he wrote. Yeah, it's definitely right. about personal tragedy and hardships. Right. Yeah, it's a great title name for it too. 
Um, but yeah, she, he says that it's not true, and then she thanks him and leaves somewhat disappointed. That's when we cut back to him driving by a beach and then parks his car. And I pretty much wrote here, it's like, the ocean looks awesome. It looks like a fun sun, summer day, tons of sur- surfers, and then he begins to go surfing. We see a plane grab his attention, and a wave just knocks him down. That's when the wave continuously bottles him down into the ocean floor, and then we cut to him on the beach, who's almost drowned, as a person checks in, checks in on him. Then we quickly cut to a post office. He has a PO box and grabs his mail. He greets Jackson and expresses that he, uh, if he's read, uh, that he read his last stuff and then says that it was very scary. He acknowledges him, but then just leaves. That's when we go to a diner where we see he's checking out all of his mail. As he's opening up everything, he opens up a letter and sees it's a birthday card and disregards it. He goes through more mail and sees a postcard for the Dolphin Hotel. Written on it, don't enter 1408. This catches his attention, and he puts an equals 13 on there. Now, they don't really refer what uh, the equals 13 is as well. Oh, it's, it's the literally... the 13th floor, I'm assuming? No, it's it's 1408. Add them together, and it's 13. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I know I would never have... Okay. That, okay, it's a little humorous then, in a the way. Yeah, yeah, one okay. plus four is five, five plus eight. zero is five, yeah. and five plus eight is 13. Perfect. Interesting. Okay, I never caught that. I was like, oh, 13th floor, he knows that. Yeah, but you are 100% right. <laughs> uh, he, <laughs> I mean, technically, technically, it is the 13th floor, though, because true. they act like the 13th floor doesn't exist. Which is maybe so. why they chose the number 1408. I don't know. I didn't maybe. read the short story. I want to know how he got the postcard. That, too. Like, who invited him? They never yeah, bring it up. Obviously, That's a good call. right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, for sure, the manager did not want him to stay there. None of the employees wanted him to stay there. Yeah, I, huh. I have to imagine it's a fan who read his books and tried to go into fourteen oh eight, and they wouldn't let him. Yeah. So they were like, "Oh, I'll mail him, and maybe he can get in or something." Yeah, yeah. It leaves our imagination to like fill in the gaps in there, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, he takes this as a, a a good opportunity. So he calls the hotel and says that he would like to stay in that room. They say it's not available, no matter which day he begins to tell them. They hang up on him. We see him begin to research the hotel at this point. He discovers a couple suicides that happened there. Then we get this awesome overhead shot of him with the fan and it kind of shows like a little cool montage of him working on his desk, which I thought that was really cool. Um, then we cut to Sam, who hops on the call with him and introduces the lawyer, Mike. He asks Sam about the hotel. Um, oh, sorry. I put lawyer Mike, lawyer Clay, uh, t- to talk to Mike. Uh, he asks Sam about the hotel, and Clay found a civil right law where they have to give him that room if it's available, that they will book the room no matter what. Sam grabs the phone off the speaker and asks him if he truly wants to come here. After everything that's happened, does he really want to come back to New York? He says that it will be quick and he'll be in and out. Sam also asks about Lily and he says that he won't contact her. That's when we cut to the Dolphin Hotel. A very nice, fancy establishment. He enters the lobby and it's very old school. A very beautiful place. He is welcomed at the check-in at the counter where she gets his information and sees a pop-up saying to alert management when he arrives. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty cool technology. <laughs> Leave a note. 
Yeah, yeah. I thought it was pretty neat. Uh, she notifies the manager and tells him it will be only a minute. That's when Gerald comes up to him and says that he can offer whatever he needs. He just asks, and pretty much he gives him like the whole spiel of like, hey, I can be your concierge if you want Nick's tickets, if you want this, if you want that. Uh, and then pretty much he just asks for the key of 1408. He counters with saying, we can upgrade you to the penthouse suite. He says 1408 again. He asks for a more private conversation, so they head into his office. Mike asks if he, if it's a smoking room. Gerald says yes. He explains that he quit, but a cigarette is something that he carries with him as a superstition. I did like that little aspect of him. It has a little bit of like more character backstory of like, hey, I'm not really a believer, but if there's something that goes down, I have my last cigarette. So yeah, I actually cool. wrote about his routine in like that first hotel he was in. Yeah. He has his, like you were saying, he does all these things and it's like his it's routine like that he must do every, his ritual that he does like every single time. Right. And it's always like putting it right by the ashtray and then he like checks mm-hmm. it out room by room and looking at everything. Um, but yeah, it, he's a man of habit, essentially. And there's yeah. no like strain from what he does. And he pretty much says it's a writer thing. He asks if he drinks and he says, yes, I am a writer, which I thought that was kind of funny too. <laughs> Uh, that's when he offers a bottle of expensive alcohol. He not he denies this bribe, but then he then asks how long he means to stay. Then emphasizes that no one has stayed there more than an hour. Um, that's pretty much when Mike says that he wants to stay there overnight. Uh, Mike explains that he is not calling for his ghost stories. Uh, he's not coming here for his ghost stories. Gerald explains that he's look he's trying to look out for him. He begins recording the conversation, even without permission, even though it's like, hey, you don't mind. And he starts recording anyways. Um, he says that he's only helping him for one reason, and that's not to deal with the mess. He explains that under his watch, there has been four deaths. At this point, he forbids anyone else to stay in that room. That's when Mike talks about the topic and mocks him about all of the deaths. He explains about all of the natural deaths to actually counter his knowledge that there is a total of 56 deaths in that room, even one person who drowned himself with chicken soup. He says that he will give him all of his files to read and write about that in his book, but did not stay in 1408. Now, I put here, I was like, that's a pretty good offer. I feel like you'd get all of that information. You don't have to stay in that room. But God willing, he wants to be in that room. And I was like, well, this is the downfall of your character. Yeah, and this was like, offers... God, this is everything you want, technically. Yeah, he offers to, uh, for him to stay in a room that's laid out exactly like 1408. Yeah, 1404. Too, right? So he can get the feel. Yeah, so he can get the feel for it. And uh, then offers him all of the unwritten case file or unseen case files about the mysterious deaths that were never published or, you know, put out publicly. And yeah, it's absolutely a great deal for him. But, you know, he just, he doesn't believe in it. So he's like, whatever, it's just a room. And that's the big thing that was in the downfall of his relationship with his wife, too, about what to believe and what not to believe and having that argument. But we'll talk about that a little bit later, too. Uh, he didn't ask about that drink. So he put, uh, pours himself a glass, or he gets a glass from uh, Gerald, and Mike drinks it and says how good it is. He gives the bottle to him, and he puts it away. He then says that he's still staying. I thought that was a very comedic moment. It's like, it was you know great. What? It was so perfect. Here's your offer. Okay, how about that drink? Takes the drink. He's like, this is really good. Gets the bottle. And he's like, by the way, I'm still staying. 
Right, yeah. As soon as he seals it in his bag. Oh, <laughs> so he gosh. got away with like a free and very expensive bottle as well. Uh, clever guy. And he calls him clever, so it's all his fault too. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's when Gerald says, God damn it, and gives him photos of the victims and says, you won't want to stay. About and then keeps on telling him about different stories about someone who cut his own throat. Uh, he explains that he can use fourteen oh four, which had the same layout. He explains that his fans ask for the truth, and Gerald explains that no, they don't. And even quotes his book. He says that he's actually impressed by him. Uh, Mike asks for the key again, explaining that he's stayed in worse in worse places and begins talking about it. And that's when he says, "Do you know why I can stay in your spooky room?" Because he knows the ghosts don't exist. Gerald says that he can't be talked out of this, and that's when he says, well, it looks like we've reached an understanding. And this is where I said, like, the back and forth between these two characters is really well written. I feel like it was very genuine, very organic, and you got two really powerful actors in the scene, too, with Samuel L. Jackson and John Cusack. So it was cool to see them, like, bounce off each other. I thought it was, like, pretty cool. Not too bad. I agree. I share the same exact sentiment there. That's I, I've been... Literally waiting to say that pretty much this entire yeah. time, too. So you nailed it's it. It's kind of funny. I low-key wish he was locked in the room with him, and they were both dealing with it. I feel like that would have been a better movie. I know. We Not only get bad. It's just like, they work so well together. Yeah, we only get them, like, what, one or two more times in the movie after right. this? And, and even the other scene that we get with him in the refrigerator, and we'll talk about that, was really well done. Other than the weird compositing. Yeah. I don't know. There was some weird compositing in that part, but we'll get yeah. there. We'll get there. Uh, so we cut to them back at the desk getting the key. He's impressed that it's a physical key, and Gerald explains that the electronics don't work in 1408. He explains that the thing in 1408 is not a phantom as well, but it's an evil. They hop in the elevator, and that's where he thinks that the room will be dirty after 11 years, and Gerald explains them that. They're very professional, and we clean it once a month. <laughs> he supervises the ma- he supervises he supervises it himself, and the maids work in pairs. That they only stay ten minutes with the door open. He explains that even a young uh, maid found herself locked in the bathroom, and she was found blind because she gouged her own eyes out. Man, it's just warning sign after warning sign after warning sign. And I love the whole things like, yeah, we're very careful, but we love what we do and we're very professional, but no one's going to be in that room for more than 10 minutes. Like this, this is great setup of like, oh, we're probably going to be seeing stuff really early on when he gets into that room. And that's what I love that this movie, when it starts, it starts. And I got to say, you know, we look at the beginning when they're like, oh, some people died upstairs and this one lady (laughs) hung herself. And meanwhile, Samuel L. Jackson is just spewing out thing after thing after thing of like why you don't want to be in there. And he is just so adamant where everyone else is like, come on in. Yay, let's do this. Where he's like, no, you don't want to be in this room. Please don't do this. Right. Everyone loves their stories and that's what their selling point, what brings customers in. But he's like, I don't care about the fame. I don't care about anything else. Yeah. Just don't go in there because on his watch, he lost four people. And I'm sure he takes accountability for it where well, enough is enough. And he doesn't understand that and kind of just brushes him off. And that's like, well, there's even a moment where he's like, you know, oh, you know, you want your sales to, you know, raise right. after my book is written. And he's like, dude, we run it like 95% capacity all the time. Right. We don't need you. <laughs> 
And that's what nah, I love their back and forth. From. I wish so it was the whole movie like that. Uh, but that's when the elevator opens and he explains that this is as close as he gets unless it's that time of month. He warns him not to do it one last time. He disregards him and Gerald just goes down the elevator. Walking down the hall, he looks at the photos of the victims. He ends up at another elevator as it opens. That's when he looks at the file and on the page that reads, My brother was eaten by wolves on the Connecticut Turnpike. I don't know what the relation is to what is happening in the movie, but that is a terrifying sentence to like stop on. I'm sure there's 100%. some type of connection, I guess, but I never really understood why we had to like look at that. But at the same time, terrifying to read. Uh, he sees a woman with her baby entering another room as he arrives to his door at 1408. He taps on the door. Then he opens it with a cool POV shot of the door lock. And I love those kind of like quick shots of like you're following the key in and it kind of like unlocks it. I love stuff like that. Just a different point of view. He pushes the door open with the files to get into a dark room. He turns on the lights and looks around. That's when he says, this is it. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> he places the cigarette on the ashtray and starts recording. Um, and he says that Gerald did a good job. Then explains that it's just a room. Little does he know. He sits as he watches TV, then powers it off. He opens the drawer, grabs the Bible, and then just puts it back. He inspects the room some more. He makes a joke that $8 for beer nuts. This is a room of evil. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that there's a little comedy sprinkled in there everywhere. It's nice little tension breakers. Um, he begins to journal more on his recorder, and that's when he begins to explain the layout of the room, the furniture, the art, the different stains, and more. He says it does have its charm. He opens the window and describes the outside. That's when random music begins to play, and now we have our first paranormal activity within the room, which is great. I think that was a great little, like, jump scare-ish of like, oh, loud music, and it's spooky, and it's mm -hmm. old. And we talked about that in the last episode. Something about like old-fashioned music sounds creepier than regular music. Yeah. Um, but he uh, he says, holy shit, as he gasps for air, because it really did scare him, he finds two chocolates at his bed. He says that they are doing a great job and explains that someone must be in the room. That's when he opens the closet door really fast. Then yells hello from place to place. And the toilet paper that he ripped off earlier while he was looking into the room is now, like, new. I thought that was a nice touch, too. Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, he tries to think about what happened and what goes, and then goes into the living room. He looks around and nothing. He sees something in the vent and yells hello. He says that he has, tr um, he has to try something else and if he likes it up there and how hot it is. <laughs> and then that's when he checks and the thermostat is broken and it's like 80 degrees. It is hot. I was like, damn. Yeah. No one wants to be in that kind of heat. And you're in New York and it looks like it's like nice out too. Um, he calls to the front desk. She asks if he's ready to check out. He explains to have someone fix the thermostat instead. And she says that she will have someone up right away. He hangs up. Uh, I like that. They say like, we'll send an engineer up right away. Yeah. I've never, I've never been at a hotel where they call like their their handyman, their like an engineer, yeah, yeah a maintenance guy. And your engineers, they engineer stuff. <laughs> I think it's rad. Yeah. I just, I've never heard it before. That's a great job title, and I, right? I love this engineer too. He's smart. <laughs> oh, he's so good. Uh, he's so clever. 
Um, but yeah, after he hangs up, he begins hearing the baby cry from the other room. He talks to the recorder about all of the adventures he's been on with it. Talks about all of the guests that could have come through in the hotel rooms as well. How many people lost their minds and their lives. He explains that there's uh, that he's there to get the story, and he doesn't run away. Which is kind of true and not true, because he does run away from his problems, but doesn't run away from his career. He goes after it, right. in my opinion. No, you're 100% correct. I mean, uh, there's something his wife says later about, like, you know, you, this is your job. This is what you do. Right. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely believe that he was a job over family kind of person. Yeah, he buries himself in the work rather than face the terrors that's in his own mind. Yeah. Which eh, I do that, too, sometimes, you know. <laughs> you can't be sad if you're busy. That's not a good thing, obviously. Um, so if you're doing that, don't do it. Trust me. <laughs> uh, we cut to him with a black light, seeing all of the places people died. And I just put here, it's like, it's disgusting, it's gross, there's blood splatter everywhere. And we get those little quick edits of, like, the actual photo of the person dead and then the actual location. And you can see, like, there's still remnants of it. And I was just like, oh, yeah, why would anyone want to stay in that room at all? Yeah, I liked how it kind of flashed to um what happened there with the black like it would be the black light and then it flashes to like what was there right but it's like only for a split second it's cl- and then it editing. goes away yeah, yeah it's super like quick but it's super effective too because you know like that's gruesome and there's still a stain there from that horrific right. event and you're okay it's also kind of there. terrifying that they like clean the room but they never changed the bed sheets right. they never he those. said that he did and I was like but you're not changing it you're cleaning it and putting it back out I don't know <laughs> but what well, he said he's professional right <laughs> yeah why right. not just keep the bed sheets there okay. yeah uh, he turns the lights back on and notices the painting in the living room is tilted he fixes it then we hear thudding and he gets startled. He tries for the, to open the door and he has to force it to open because it gets stuck. The worker asks about the thermostat. He explains the problem. He realizes that he has, he explains the problem to the engineer and then he realizes that he hasn't entered the door yet. That's mm-hmm. when he refuses to come inside knowing what has happened inside that room. Smart guy. And it's so funny because he's like right at the edge of the door and he's just like pointing at the thermostat. It's like, oh yeah, you got it. He explains that he will talk him through fixing it. He tells him that he has to take the cover off and then tap on the tube with the mercury in it and it will start working. And it's kind of funny. He's just like, yeah, just tap it. Go go ahead. Just tap it. Uh, It's really funny. And then he is happy that it works, but before he can thank him, he's already gone. Smart guy again. Um, that's when he grabs the bottle and puts himself, uh, pours himself a drink. Laying on the bed, he takes a sip, but then the music jump scares us all. <laughs> and it's actually <laughs> got me pretty well. It's like, all right, he's sitting down, he's relaxing, and then the music just kicks in. And it's loud, too, and I love that. Yeah. Uh, the clock starts to move to a 60-minute timer. He starts recording, saying, no one lasts more than an hour. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about this aspect of the movie, this mechanic? 60 minutes. I I liked it. I feel like it's something that's been built into the room over the years of its existence as it's kind of like built its personality. Like if you think of it as a person and you think about the routine of a serial killer and how it starts out as something maybe even unintentional, but as it 
uh, as they start to refine their technique or refine the way that they kill people, it literally becomes like we were talking about earlier for him going from room to room, it becomes a ritual. So I think through the years over the 50 some odd people that the room has killed, the 60 minute thing became more of like a challenge or Mm. like a a routine or ritual that the room itself does. I love that you just compared the room to a serial killer and that totally is. It, it it does the same thing over and over again to different types of people and different victims, but it even has its rules and regulations as well. It's like when we get a phone call later, it talks about like free will and stuff. Um, right. It definitely has a very particular way of doing things. Almost like he has a particular way of doing things. The room itself kind of has its own exactly. like method it's, to like get people. It's to like a mirroring himself. almost. Yeah, and it's crazy to think about that. Um, but yes, that's when, after he says that no one lasts more than an hour, we begin to hear a very high-pitched sound. He looks out the window and starts to yell, but no, but there is no sound now. He comes back in, and the window shuts on his fingers. He comes to the bathroom to wash off the blood from his hands. That's when he goes to the sink, and what seems like hot water bursts violently fast onto his hand. Being in a lot of pain, he grabs a towel to stop it. Back in the bedroom, he wraps his injuries as the music starts again, with the lyrics to the song saying, "We've only just begun." It's like that beautiful that like song. It's like we've just only. I'm not gonna sing, but <laughs> I love when lyrics and songs create storytelling in movies. So I I I eat this up. I love it. Yeah, the radio does it a few times too. Oh yeah, which is pretty cool. And it always goes back to like we've only just begun. It's yep. sadistic and insidious. Um, it's the same demon (laughs) (laughs) it is that's the demon that's the one Uh, he unplugs the radio and the music stops but the timer's still there he hears the phone ring answers but nothing another phone is buzzing and he gets it and the lady on the other line explains that he will have to wait another 10 minutes for food that he did not even order he says that you win and that he's checking out that he's hurt but she disregards this and talks about something else. And that's when he begins to get angry and says like, he's going to like sue him. And he, and that's when she said that she can connect him with the manager. He's placed on hold and then dial tone hangs up on him. He started grabbing, he starts to grab all of his stuff and goes for the door. It is locked. And then when he tries to key, it breaks. And when he tries to, and he tries to get out and grabs the doorknob that also comes off. He bangs and yells to get out. He even yells outside the window. That's when he begins to see someone across in another building who's trying to get out uh, while he's trying to get their attention. Waving and saying to call the police, the person starts mimicking him, all of his movements. Everything he does, the other person does the same. He grabs a lamp and the other person does the same. And that's when we see that it's actually him and there's an attacker behind him. This is the one uh, big jump scare that I got, and probably the same for you, where I didn't remember any of this happening. And yeah, it 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 definitely was something I didn't remember at all when I was. I remember him looking across the street, but for some reason, I thought that was the part when uh, the window falls, Mm. not not when this happens. So yeah, it was definitely kind of a shock to me. Um, It also made me wonder, like, who this person was out of all the. Right, or is it just something the room over. uses? And yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's definitely someone that died there, obviously. A lot of them are the victims from the past suicides and stuff right. like that. So seeing this person be the only attacker for the majority of all the ghosts is very interesting to see. Because no one else really right. attacks him except for that one lady that jumps out the window later. But like you said, there's not a lot of threats that come after him. That was a major threat, for sure. Yeah, the thing that made me wonder is maybe that that was someone who died in the room that like added to the evil of the room because Mm. Stephen King loves doing like evil spaces. Right. Right. You know, in Salem's lot, it's like an evil house in um, the shining. It's the entire hotel is like a a passageway. Right. So, you know, it's like, did, did a bunch of people die there that some of them happen to be evil and it just started to infect the room and open up like a gateway interesting it could be um yeah not to think about it when you were naming all of that it's like yeah he just likes spooky places being evil <laughs> even like, uh, like pet cemetery you can even say that too in a way yeah like every place yeah. that he has in his books and stuff like that dairy being a big thing as well castle rock there are a lot of iconic locations that are seemed evil in his eyes yeah yeah damn yeah, that's a good point but yeah no this one i would say out of all the ghosts the most scary for me. Yeah, at least. Absolutely. Um, but yes, as he turns around and sees someone trying to kill him, he dodges the attack and falls down as the swings of the attacker happen. He covers his face and then he looks back up and the person is now gone. He goes back to the window and sees that no one is there anymore. He grabs a lamp and tosses it out the window as it disappears. I thought that was a funny choice, but at the same time, it's like if you're really trying to get someone's attention, I guess you could throw a lamp outside the window. But it's like, yeah. oh, my over worried self I was like, oh, he could hit someone so I can get injured. Oh man, <laughs> I thought the same thing because I forgot that it just disappeared. I thought it was just going to break on the cement, and no one sees and- it. Yeah. Yeah, no one saw it or heard it, but no, it just disappears. But that was my initial thought, too, was like, oh, God, what if he hit somebody with it? Like, literally anything could have happened. Um, it's very interesting that things disappear as they fall out the window, and there's, like, a weird, like, mm-hmm. sound that happens. It's like a little, like, yeah. static TV, like, oh, I can't remember. I, 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 thought it of, I thought of it like a radio static, yeah. almost, because a lot of this stuff has to do with the radio, but... Then you have the the woman that comes up next where she's almost like a there's I feel like there's one that jumps out the window and she's like a 19 like 40s black and white TV show. Yes. And then there's a, one that jumps after that but she's more like 1960s color. Yeah. 1970s color TV. It's interesting. Yeah, the um, design choices and the like ghosts and the way they interact with things and objects in the room is very fascinating, very interesting. And it's something that's very engaging. But at the same time, yeah. I don't know if I'd like the sound effect when it disappeared. It would have been kind of cool just to have it just like disappear. Yeah. Part of me makes it makes me wonder if like its power emanates from what it has within the room. That's true. In some ways. So like because it's got that old TV in there, that's why the ghosts project as like TV things. But that doesn't always hold up because, you know, the guy with the hammer we just saw doesn't like show up like that. So right. It's it's really weird. It bounces back and forth, which. Yeah. Yeah. Um, still cool. Still cool. Some yeah. Cool really effects. cool stuff. Uh, that's pretty much what he talks to himself and says, I'm losing my mind. He begins to hear a girl asking for her daddy. He gets to a corner trying to say things into the recorder. 
He says it's not real as he stays against the wall as he moves. He has given himself even a self-diagnosis. Uh, that's when he sees the vent, thinking someone is still there. He thinks it could have been the alcohol or perhaps the chocolate, and he's hallucinating. That's when the TV turns on. He sees his home video of his own family, of his daughter and his wife. And then the video is really cool. There's like some great family dynamics. They're all laughing, having silly interactions. Really cool stuff uh, to show that like they had a really good time together at one point. Yeah, and this this kind of makes me think this may not be what he wrote about in the the father son book, right? Because it felt like the father was like a more ominous figure in that mm. original book, where in this, like they obviously have a good family dynamic, though he could have been writing about his sadness and what he was going through when his daughter died, but uses the son as a, um, like a catalyst for that. I, I agree with that. I'm pretty sure he did. Um, but this is where like a lot of the facial interactions with his face and his mannerisms, you can see the sadness in his body language, which I mm-hmm. really enjoyed in his performance. As he like touches the TV and you can hear some of the static touching his fingertips. Uh, but that's when the TV turns off. Being all emotional, he grabs the bottle. Then he puts it back down. He sees a black and white static man jump out of the window. He then sees another ghost woman crying, then she jumps out of the window. And that's the thing that we were talking about, him being in black and white and her being in color. He begins to hear the baby cry from the other room. He taps on the wall asking for the mom, saying that he needs help. The baby cries get louder, so loud that it begins to hurt him. And I actually really have this big thing where like that's a very unsettling sound, I have to say. Just the baby oh, crying yeah. and gets louder and louder, and it's almost like an alarm at that point. Very terrifying to see. <laughs> so he does what he does best, and he just grabs a chair and throws it against the <laughs> wall. That'll stop it, and it did. The crying stops. Uh, Mike then hears something coming from the bathroom as he slowly gets up and heads towards it. He sees a man in a wheelchair. He approaches this ghost, or this entity, and is actually his dad. So this is where we can actually see a little bit more backstory about him and how the room is kind of really invading his life, uh, his mind and getting into his like personal mental state. Uh, he explains who he is. And I love what his dad says. His dad says, as you are, I was, as I am, you will be. And I just put here, that's a very creepy line. <laughs> I mean, especially coming from an older man who is probably going through you know, some, some mental issues. He's in a right. wheelchair and he's uh, there's some essence of like uh, Mike having to take care of him. And, you know, he's basically like saying, you're going to be here one day. Mm-hmm. It's like the passage of time, which is also right. one of the scariest things in the world. It's like one day we will get old. Yep. And that's terrifying. Um, He gets there low with his dad. That's when he gets up and then everything's back to normal. <clears throat> Then the sink begins to overflow with the blood that he had on his hand. He begins to think that he is having nightmares, that he might be asleep, and that he's missing a lot of memories from the day that he doesn't really recall. Strange noises begin, and we see a large crack in the wall with gross liquid spilling out. It seems to be blood. And that's when he says, they say you can't die in your dreams. Is that true? That is a great line, too. I really like the writing yeah. in this movie. I think the writing is very strong, to be honest. There's was, a lot of lines where it's just like crack, it hits. Huh? 
Uh-huh. Well, I mean, and that's that's nice because it, you know it comes from a, no- a Stephen King novel, so you know the novel is written well, or a short story, um, so you know it's written well, right? And then whoever adapted it, you know, it, whether they added lines or uh, tried to keep it as similar as possible, you know, yes, um, it's uh, one of the coolest things to see. I love how you can translate a book into like live action, especially like even yeah. talking about like scripts in general, like you can have an idea on a script and it could be completely different when you have in the three dimensional space. And I just learned mm-hmm. that from like one of the filmmakers I talked to today. I was like, yeah, that's a really good thing to say. Uh, and more so for like books that get adapted to like either TV and movies. Uh, it takes a lot to make that come to life, especially something that's very long. Uh, but yeah, there's a short film, maybe even making this longer and being able to like how to how to do that. Another Stephen King adaptation, Gerald's Game. Uh, uh, a lot of people said that it could never be adapted into a film, but they made some really smart decisions on how to minimize how many versions uh, or strange characters there were uh, that we had no attachment to, um, and bringing them into the characters we've already met. Right. And to make all of the, the self-motivational dialogue and everything work. Yeah, and um, Charles really King, cool stuff. they got the best of the best, too. Mike Flanagan. I mean, that's so, true. <laughs> it was in good hands, for sure. And especially doing Doctor Sleep afterwards, too. Another Stephen King adaptation. Um, but yeah, so after he says his line of, they say you can't die in your dreams, is that true? He touches the blood. And I put here, why? Why are you touching that? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's gross. Even if it wasn't whether blood, it's blood or it was not. Like, yeah, it yeah like whether muddy, it's blood or not. Why are you doing liquid. it? Was that, was it coming from where he threw the chair? Uh, I did not pay attention. Um, I, I, I feel like it was, yes. but I don't remember yeah. right now. Yeah, it was like him damaging the room. So the room is like, right. yeah. Responding. Yes. So the wall cracks more. He opens the window and saying... The shock will wake you up. And I just put here like, oh, looks like he might jump. And I don't remember what happens in this movie. So I was like, oh, he's going to jump. He looks at the (laughs) floor plans on the door and sees where the next window is. He begins to measure as the crack gets bigger and more blood comes out. He pumps himself up as he steps on the ledge of the window. He, uh, He records that if he falls, that it would be an accident and the room didn't win. He shimmies his way to the next window, counting each step. He looks, and there are no windows in the entire building. I thought that was a cool reveal. I didn't remember that happening, too. Uh, I thought yeah. he was going to climb into the window, and it's the same room. That's what I was expecting. Absolutely. But I yeah, didn't expect that been cool. no windows. Yeah, and I, I wonder if this was a set, um, like a practical set that he climbed on the side of. Mm-hmm. Um or, you know, because obviously today they would have done like some sort of digital effect to just cover up the the other windows right. with brick. Um, but in 2007, they could have they could have done it either way. Um, and I, I wonder I wonder if it was a set where they just built kind of like a wall that looked like the outside of the right. building and then comped it into the street. Because there's some interesting lighting that goes on in the street when he's when he's uh, they do that like side shot of him. Yeah, uh, climbing that's the on the big side thing. The There's a lot of crazy camera movements in this movie. We get a lot of crazy POV stuff. We get zoom out, zoom in. Um, it's very interesting on how they use the camera to tell a story too. But at the same time, the, yeah. to like show the great reveal, the camera kind of zooms out completely, and you see the entire yep. building, and it's just his one window. And I thought that was like really effective. Was like, there's no other windows. Not even your neighbor's window is the problem. There's no windows in this building now. 
Yeah, I think at that That's point, terrifying. it's definitely a digital effect, right? Because yeah. that'd probably be the cheapest way to do that. But um, yeah, it's such a cool little sequence for sure. Yes. Uh, he begins to panic and begins to go back to his own room. Before he gets into a window, uh, into his window, a lady attacks him as he's about to re-enter. He falls and grabs onto the ledge. That's when the ghost commits suicide by jumping off the window and then yeah. disappears. So this was my question. Did she try and attack him or was she trying to crawl out the window? It seemed to like she commit was, suicide? She was uh, swinging her arm at him. That's that's kind of what I thought too at first. But then when she jumped out, I was like, wait, did I see it wrong? Was she just reaching out to go grab the window and pull just herself didn't see him up? There. It could be. Yeah, it could be that she didn't see him visibly there. So she's just, I didn't she's think just grabbing about it. the air over the ledge, and he's just there. Right, yeah. I didn't think about it until after she jumped that I was like, huh, Did he? Did she? was she not trying to attack him at first? She was just trying to climb out the window? It's an interesting right. thought. And I always have the whole concept of like, it seems like if you die there, you become part of the haunting, and you're just reliving your last death. Yeah, you keep right. going through the same routine, almost. Exactly. <laughs> Um, he crawls up to the window slowly, and then it closes on him. He's able to get in before it shuts on him. He looks at the door, and now the map has changed to just 1408, and there's no emergency plan, there's no other rooms, and I thought that was kind of cool, too, a little bit of the mind games. Such a simple effect that just is really cool, because we yeah. just got the floor plan in the last scene before he went out the window, and now it's literally just a changing of a piece of paper but it's yeah. so effective when he goes subtle, back to look at it subtle. and it's just your hair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like the same thing is like, oh, he turns around and there's chocolates on your bed. That's creepy. Yeah. Like when? When did you do that? Or the toilet paper being ripped earlier and then now it's like back to normal. It's like back how? to normal. Yeah, like I would be like him. It's like there is someone in here messing with me. <laughs> and I would be like look frantically around too. Um. Yeah, so after the map has changed to just 1408, he looks into the peephole. And now it's all brick walls. Now the lights begin to flicker, and the windows are now brick walls too, fully trapped into this nightmare. He begins rewinding the recorder and listens to himself. He hears himself describe things that he never said, like the room having no windows. I thought that was very clever, where he's like listening back, and then he's describing the room, and then he's like, oh yeah, it's really weird that this room has no windows, where before obviously it did. So like oh cool and that, mind games. that goes back to yeah it goes back to mind games but also electronics not working in the room at least uh, not properly that's true too um that's when mike begins to hear a nurse voice he sees himself in the hospital office talking to his wife about his daughter who is dying from some sickness he sees that his dying daughter on the bed he says katie uh, he says Katie in the room goes all red. She's calling for him now, that she's scared. He turns on the light and sees the first attacker from earlier in the mirror. He turns around and nothing's there. The thermostat now changed to a lower temperature. He puts on his suit jacket as the temperature gets lower, his cell not working or his computer somewhat. But he is able to FaceTime Lily with a terrible connection. It's like a video call. And it's uh, very 2007 too. I love the layout, oh, yeah. how the windows are open. Uh, the, really thick, cool. the thick webcam that he's right. got popped on this. Uh, and it's like this, an attached webcam. The computer yeah. itself didn't have a webcam. Exactly. So very 2007. It's very dated. But you know what? It works. That was pretty good connectivity for what it was, I guess. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, she explains that he hasn't talked to her in over a year. He explains that he's trapped in a room. I don't know why he's like whispering at this point too. The thing that got me off guard is like, I'm trapped in this room. Call the police. Very quietly. I was just like, yeah. why? Maybe so the room didn't hear him. I don't know. <laughs> well, I heard him. <laughs> yeah, he explains that he's trapped in a room. And that's when she gets a call. And he explains to call the cops. And he's in this uh, dolphin hotel. And then that's when she realizes, hey, you're in New York City. And she gets all <laughs> mad about it. Um, but that's when the sprinklers go off and breaks his computer. He grabs a piece of the broken chair that uh, he broke earlier and starts smacking everything, including the vent. Uh, or he hears something from the vent and he starts to smack it. He uh, he gets close and begins to unscrew the screws to open it, managing to get it open, and he starts to look inside. He yells that he has a knife as he climbs up into it. And I just put here, the vent is a very creepy place. Well done, set design. Very small corners. It had like an orange tint. Very dirty. It had cockroaches. Um, yeah, don't know why he went up there. But it makes sense why he's <laughs> going up there too. It's like his only choice, which is kind of cool to see characters put in a corner and have that survival instinct. Like, I'm down for whatever. Yeah, so I, I guess cool. this is my only option now. I've yeah. tried everything else. And essentially he hears the baby cry from the other room and then when he looks down to the vent from that room he sees that's actually his uh wife and has a young katie next to her uh as he continues he moves forward we get this really creepy jump scare of a random person in the vent uh the character does not see it he turns a corner and then sees him a very dusty old corpse with fogged off glasses. He kicks him in the face and completely <laughs> destroys him, then crawls away to get back into the same room. It's a very short and scare, kinda, but it was kind of cool. Yeah, that falls into the the idea that we were talking about at the beginning, where this movie doesn't really feel threatening or scary, because you have a potentially scary thing happen, but then the end result is him smashing it to literal dust. Yeah, I feel like this movie just throws a lot of stuff at him and he just resolves everything very quickly or it just ends very quickly and then it goes to the next scene and then the next scene and then the next scene or it doesn't mm. really savor the moment or stay with the creepy thing or make it more threatening like you said but it's just like things are just happening and he's like all right cool done on to the next yeah like how how much different would that scene have felt if he got away from it but you know, it tore part of his pant leg and maybe left a mark. And then he fell back into his room and that thing was still up there. Right. It hadn't come down, but it, we knew it was still up there. And then in the back of our minds, it's still there. Yeah. But we know it's not there anymore because it's dead. It, it, that would have been great. And for whatever reason, I feel like I always wanted this character to go into a different room, being the same room. But he just ends up in the <laughs> same room. I, I just like the mind games of like, oh yeah, you enter through a window, but it's the same window and you just went to a different location or he goes into yeah. the vent, goes pretty far. And then he jumps down the vent and it's still the same room, like the right. infinity 14. And, and we do get some stuff like that here in a little Th bit. That's true. I did like the ending a lot, especially in the post office, which we'll talk about. Yeah, that's what I was talking yeah. about. <laughs> uh, he gets back up and looks for the bottle. See, he's always trying to find that bottle, too, which is insane. Uh, he opens the fridge to see Gerald in there. <laughs> so this is the scene we were talking about. He argues with him that he wanted this. He explains why people believe in ghosts. That's what Mike, and then that's when Mike asks, what do you want from me? 
as he shakes a fridge full of drinks now. He says, I want my drink. And it's such a weird back and forth because he's like walking down the hall, but it's all like, like you said, like the contrast is weird and doesn't match up. It's definitely like green screen there. Yeah, the ground that he's on and the background, like all seem to be kind of blurred. Right. And he's just kind of like composited into the center of it until he until he starts closing in. And then it's like a shot of him actually in the room. But that initial drop where he's just standing there, it's almost like they didn't get that shot initially. <laughs> so they were like, oh, we got to go back and get you on a green, a blue screen or green right. screen. And then, yeah, pop you in here to this background. And then we'll just blur the background so that it you know looks fine ish right <laughs> i it was a very interesting scene to see where it's like oh I, I like the idea that you like open up a refrigerator to a different like location completely and you see him like mocking mm-hmm. it. it's like hey, this is what you wanted this is what happens i warned you yeah it's like what do you want from me get me out and then he's like shaking the refrigerator and starts beating everything up and then it just cuts to him like just messing around with all the drinks Bitty, beating that's the fridge, cool yeah. <laughs> i like that i was like that's a cool reveal like, now he just looks like a crazy person <laughs> which is the whole point the whole scene is great and, and their interaction is great. Right. Um, like we said earlier, we wish, we wish there were more of these two in the film. Um, it's just that one composite shot where they, where he's just standing on the background and they, when they do the initial fridge reveal is a little weird, but yeah. then the rest of the, the I mean, the, even that part is great. And I'm sure um, back in 2007, it looked great too. Yeah. But I think it's just more I mean, good I, for us now seeing it. I was like, oh, it doesn't work as well, but I'm sure like, more acceptable back to its time. Yeah, I saw it in theaters and I don't remember thinking it was, you know, bad right. back then. But then I was a much more less critical child back <laughs> then too. Hey, that's fair. No, I, I, yeah, it's one of those things like possible, it's a, a product of its age for sure. Right. And I'm not trying to be critical in a bad way. I just think, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. No, I, I think the scene is take great. Note of. I love the scene. Yeah, the scene itself, awesome. So much fun. Let's see. Oh, and then eventually when he says he wants his drink and then starts disrobing and everything, uh, he grabs the bottle and takes a sip. Sitting down, grabbing the Bible, he sees that it's empty and has no words. We cut to a flashback with his wife and daughter talking about her condition. She explains that everyone dies. He explains when people are older to her. His wife explains that she's actually going to someplace that's very beautiful. She asks her dad if she believes in all of that. He actually says yes. Then we cut to them, uh, the couple fighting about the afterlife. He hears a phone ring, and he's, and pretty much this is where you can see, like, oh, yeah, it's like you're filling her head with stories and these fairy tales mm-hmm. of, like, an afterlife. It's like, I want her to survive. So he, he's in, not denial, but he, he wants her to live, right? He doesn't really believe in the afterlife. And he's more of a realistic person and believes in Do realism. You- do you think he goes on his job, um, you know, doing all this haunted stuff to prove after that the death of his daughter? But I guess that wouldn't work because he's been writing for a while and he disappeared only a year ago. So that wouldn't make sense. It's just, it's so interesting to me that he, what he does coincides with his beliefs so much and yet he still continues to do it. I think it's something that helps him be like, see, this is what I told her. Like, it's maybe like a self-validation for him. Be like, yeah, there's nothing that oh, yeah. exists. Because Absolutely. as you can okay. see, we're like, he's very pompous about like, I don't care what you tell me. You can tell me that there's, what was it, like 56 deaths. 
I'm still going to stay in that room because I don't believe in it. And that's how strongly I believe in my beliefs. Yeah. Do you know how many books I've written? Do you know how many places I've visited where there's been no spiritual activity, no matter how many deaths there have been? He's a very, like, factual person. He'll throw facts at you to, like, protect himself in a way. And people dash dish it back to him. But at the same time, it's like, he's one of those people, like, um, you can't have a conversation with. It's always an argument because they believe everything is right and they're not going to be wrong about stuff. Until now. Honestly, right. he's very much wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what happens in life sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, it's a very interesting um, contrast between, like, yeah, his daughter dying and then what he does for a living after life. It's very Yeah, while we were talking about it, it started to make me think about it. But then, you know, since it's only been, like, a year, that's not enough time for him to become a world-class, like, best-selling author for multiple books. Right. Especially, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Hmm. There's a lot. He seems like a very well-worn author, not just someone who you know hit the bestsellers list and went on tour. Right. Um, I do like this next scene, though. It's very creepy. Uh, As he hears another phone ring, he opens up a closet and sees that there's a fax machine. And out of the (laughs) fax machine, he sees his daughter's clothes. He grabs it and begins washing it in the bathroom. Coming back to the main room, it is now frost and snow everywhere. I completely forgot that this happened. So it was kind of cool to see the set design with like just a bunch of snow everywhere. There's mm-hmm. just like a weird room with like snow and he's hella cold. Um, but that's when he creates a fire with all of the files as he drinks more. Always going back to that bottle. Uh, he checks the temperature and it's actually below zero. Um, he sees the computer and hears Lily's voice. That's when he goes up to the computer and they begin to talk a little bit. She says that she did call the cops and they are actually there in the room and the room is empty. That's a great reveal. I think that's always like super scary. It's like, what do you mean? They're there. You can't be like found. So it's, it's boggles my mind. It's like, Oh, is he in a different dimension, different universe type of thing? And then there's the idea of were they ever there at all? Because you know, what happens later in the movie, um, he does somehow share the same space in a way. So it's like, were they already there and then gone? And they didn't find any of his belongings or anything to say that there was someone there? Nobody at the the management knew that he was there? Like, was that really her talking at that moment? That's what I was she... thinking. I was like, I don't think this is her. I think this is the room talking to him. Still messing with him. Yeah. It's got to be. Uh, that's when he checks back on the clock, and he sees that it's uh, less than 15 minutes to go, and she says that she'll be there in 15 minutes. And he pretty much says that he's... It's too late, right? It's like, you're going to be in 15 minutes. It's going to be already too late. Uh, He explains that he's supposed to die. That's when we see another video feed of a fake version of himself pop on and and says that she should come here. She says that she'll be right there, and his video version just smiles at him. That's when the earthquake begins, and the whole entire room begins to start to explode. A storm begins in the room, and all of the artwork becomes alive. And there's a bunch of hor- uh, horrific imagery appears. So there's like dogs barking and biting. Um, everything's so like dark and moody within like the ship and the waves hitting. Uh, it's really cool. I actually really like this scene as well. I think this is a very effective stuff of like just the whole yeah, entire room very, is just going nuts at this point. Very cool scene. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> pretty much that's when he drinks more and even pours some on himself. I never understood that way. He poured alcohol on him. It's like, why? 
Um, At this point, he's losing his mind. That's I'm true. trying to show you how crazy it is. But someone who you know? loves alcohol, he's like, he's wasting it. <laughs> 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 and it's a very expensive alcohol, too. <laughs> That's terrible for me to say. Uh, the ship painting has now full waves and coming more to a life. So much so that a wave comes crashing into the room. He grabs a door to float, but quickly begins to sink. He begins to swim up to the surface, but gets knocked over by another wave. That's when we see him wake up on the beach from earlier. And I put here, was it all a dream? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Now, something really interesting that we didn't talk about earlier, the plane that flies overhead earlier in the film Mm -hmm. very specifically has the tail end of that um the advertisement right. blocked out by like a white light or a shine oh, so you call. can't exactly read what the end of it is and then in Not this shot when he's looking up at the plane you can see that back half where it says low insurance rates call this number 1408 being the last four digits uh-huh. of the phone number and you start to think, you know, is this the room messing with him? Is that where he got the number 1408? Has he been knocked out this entire time? Um, but I thought it was really clever, A, because it means they only had to fly the plane once and shoot it once. That's true. That's very <laughs> true. Because I'm sure that was expensive. Yeah. Um, uh, but also, it kind of just makes it so where you can't go back and look at the front of the film and go, wait, did it always say that? I don't know. We actually literally don't know because it's <laughs> blocked off in the beginning. I went back and specifically looked at it. No, that's that's a really good call out. It's, this is the nice thing about this movie. It all um, Obviously, the movie 1408 in the room is messing with his mind. But at the same time, mm-hmm. the movie plays tricks on us as the viewer. It's like, what is real? What is not real? You have to make up your mind about it. Where like yeah. this is the first thing, like me re-watching this movie and not seeing it for a very long time. I was like, oh, well, actually, when I first saw him like drowning, I was like, "Oh, I wonder if he actually died," because I don't remember it. And I was like, "Oh, I wonder if he died." And now this is all like the afterlife. This is hell. And then when he wakes back up, I was like, "Oh, maybe it was that." And we're getting towards the end of the movie, but I remember there was a lot more. But I was like, I was so confused. I was like, "Okay, yeah, <laughs> that's cool." Almost like a Jacob's ladder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as soon as he wakes up from almost drowning again. A guy comes up to him, and he just faints. Then he wakes up at a hospital and sees Lily there. He asks if he's out. She explains that he's not in New York and that he's actually in L.A. They called her because she's basically the emergency contact. She's the next of kin. He explains to her that he's been trapped in a hotel room, and she's actually never heard of it. She tells him to rest. He gets back to his car and sees that there's multiple tickets waiting for him. Serves you right. <laughs> she explains that the place is very beautiful, and he and she understands why he went out there. That's and then asks why he left. That's when he explains a very like heartfelt line that every time he looked at her, he saw her face. That line hits. That's like, oh man, that's very powerful. That makes a lot of sense yeah. of why he didn't talk to her for over a year as well. Uh, later that night, they're at dinner. She explains that. It was him dealing with all of the things that's in his mind. He explains that he can't believe he's still sitting there with her. He spots one of the ghosts from earlier as a live person. He tells her that Katie was there in the room. He explained how crazy it was to be able to talk to her, to hear her, and to also touch her. He explains how vivid it was. She says that he should write about her. He asks if she can stay. She says, I'm sorry. That's when we cut to him doing more investigation about the suicide stories. 
but now they're not at the hotel. A jumper from earlier now has jumped from the bridge instead of the window. He begins to write about his experience at 1408 and waking up from it. He heads to the post office after he's done writing, and as he goes to the counter demanding an overnight for his st- uh, for his story, the guy said tells him that they're closed, and that it's the same person who was the bellhop at the hotel. And this is what tripped me out too. I was like, "Huh? Are all the people that he saw in real life fabricated the 1408 hotel room?" But what I found out is we get the reveal later on in the scene. I was like, "Oh, never mind. I'm wrong. He's still there." Right. The <laughs> The woman at the restaurant, too, when he looks over at her again, she's she a different person. Right. Yeah. It's just mind playing tricks and stuff like that. Uh, he looks around at, at all of the employees and they have a very insidious face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to bring back insidious. If you haven't listened to that That's episode, perfect. you need to listen to that episode. Um, and yeah, all the employees start destroying the room. And it's very intense. The guy has a baseball bag, he's smashing windows. The other guys are like, Demolishing the doors and the the walls, tearing up the carpet. It's crazy, and- yeah. Tearing up the carpet, breaking the walls, and everything, revealing that it is the room fourteen oh eight. More of the room is revealed after them hitting down everything. He begins to spin into insanity, and the camera just like spinning with him, and it's like a weird effect. It's very nauseating, but at the same time, it's kind of cool. They show the they show the "you are here" sign again too. Oh yeah, yeah. The to say that you're still here. The- Yep. Um, the spinning stops and he's fully back in the room with a toothpick from the outside world. And I love that. It's like, this is still a little piece of your daydream. That's still mm-hmm. what we brought back for you. And he kind of like just picks it out and just throw, throws it on the ground. I was like, that's cool. Uh, he screams frantically that he was out. And I felt this. He's like, I was out. I was out. Uh, really great scene. Um, he turns around and sees a white door in the middle of the room. He touches it, seeing if it's real, even knocks on it. He says, open it, and the door slowly opens. We see nothing but a black void. We hear a preacher voice over over again, uh, voice over again, and that's when the camera just zooms into his eye. I was like, that's a really cool shot. Like I said, they do a lot of cool camera tricks in this movie. Some of it works, some of it is a little outdated. Uh, I felt like this was a cool movement. I don't know the purpose of this door. I don't know if you like had any type of understanding, but maybe he like um, his mind and his way of dealing with things is just like a black void. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this seemed like he was literally opening up a door to another world, to mm-hmm. another reality, maybe even stepping back into the real room in a way where the room could still mess with him, but he was going back into the reality of the room Mm -hmm. instead of being in the fake room. Um, But uh, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to say for sure, but it is definitely some sort of gateway because he gets to link with uh, his daughter here. Right. And this was like, yeah, the connection to his daughter for sure. Kind of like what you're saying. Right. And I I don't know if someone else brought it there or if the room brought it there. Um, but, you know, we find out at the very end of the film, the reason or not the reason, but the reality of this situation uh, of him seeing his daughter again for the first time um, since she passed away, like in like a real sense. Um, and, you know, her saying it's, it's not going to let me stay. And, um, that sort of thing, like almost like someone sent the door there 
and then he got to embrace her but then the room started fighting back and saying hey you're you can't be here and then took her and everything else away from him again yeah that's a very sad part <laughs> but yeah that's no, one of those things like yeah this is a critical part of like basically the third act at this point mm-hmm. he's letting his yeah. mind open up to the possibility of like his daughter being able to reconnect with her a little bit and have that general connection that he so longs for and i i feel like sometimes this could also be a temptation from the room it's like hey if you want to reunite with your daughter you're going to have to kill yourself oh that's and that good could be it's like here here's a little like piece of hope for you it's like there you go we've been messing with you this entire time you probably want peace you probably want to die here's one more incentive of why you should and that's pretty dark itself too but i also loved yeah. how much emotion was here just he starts bawling yes. while he's holding her and it's just it's a beautiful moment in so many different ways and just what happens uh when you know it, the room takes her away uh, is right. heartbreaking. You feel that emotion. It gives me even more of like the thought of like now the room is completely destroyed, right? They've knocked down walls. There's like debris everywhere where maybe in his own mind, he had a lot of like walls up stopping him from connecting back to his daughter and remembering her where now that all, all those walls are down and he literally opens a door into this relationship again. This is his way of connecting with her again. One last time. Almost like an acceptance. Yeah. Uh, definitely, there's like definitely the um, I forget what it's called the steps of grief, or yeah, he, he goes through a whole entire stages day. of grief, stages yeah. of grief, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is the scene where he sees Katie and she's saying that she's cold. He says that you are not real. She walks towards him as he gets on his knees. She says, I says, uh, don't you love me anymore? And he says, yes, and then embraces her. She says that they will not let her stay. She says, I wish we can stay together. Her body stops moving as she dies in his arms. That was heartbreaking to see where her body was just like lifeless in his arms. And mm-hmm. he had to relive that again. Oh, man, it's intense. It's a very good intense scene. And like you said, there was a lot of great acting moments on his part. And I, mm-hmm. the child actor is really good, too. Yeah, you know, she did Um, Her body stops moving as she dies in his arms. He begins to cry. That's when he says, you can't take her twice, and starts pleading with God. The music blares as she breaks into dust. He begins to throw all the things around the room and starts breaking things. He falls down in exhaustion. That's when he looks at the clock and it says 15 seconds to go. The timer slowly ticking from the clock. He wakes up as the timer ends and the clock resets back to 60 minutes in a clean, untouched room. Man, when I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, I can see why people committed suicide. Like, being trapped in the endless torture would be awful. And this one thing is like, damn, that's very traumatic. And this this goes back to, you know, the room not necessarily wanting to kill him, but wanting him to kill himself. And the routine of the room and how it, you know, doesn't break its own cycle. Yeah. It's it's very terrifying to be like even having the idea of being stuck in fourteen oh eight, and it's one of the things I guess this room might not have a sense of time and concept where one hour there could be only ten minutes in the real world, mm-hmm. uh, because otherwise I feel like he would have been checked on more again or I don't know right 
But yeah, that's when the phone rings and the torture begins again. He sits on a chair facing the window. He answers the phone and says, why don't you just kill me? It's a tough line. The lady on the other line says, this hotel enjoys free will. You can, um, you can start to, oh, you can start to relive this hour over and over, or you can take advantage of our express checkout. And that's like (laughs) terrifying to hear too. The express checkout is like suicide. And that's, yeah, it's the window. It's either the window or when he turns to the bedroom, he sees a noose. Right. Then he begins to remember all of the suicides. He grabs the bottle and drinks, sees another noose in the bathroom. He even looks in the mirror, seeing his own reflection to begin to disappear. Then he sees two graves, one of his daughter and one of his, recently dug up. And then that's when he looks back into the mirror and sees himself getting hung. So now we have all of these uh, visions of nooses jumping out the window, um, the re- prediction of him actually hanging himself, the empty grave being next to his daughters, and that's the big thing. It's like, oh, I think the room wants him to like reconnect with your daughter by killing yourself. Some more temptation, and how yep. evil this room is. And it's very scary imagery. It's something that's very terrifying, and it's, it's sad to see someone go through that and some people actually go through this in life too of like it's just imagining these things and it's very sad to see um but it's done in a very respectful way i think by the way if you are feeling any feelings of wanting to do something like that please don't be afraid to talk to someone yes. you mean something to someone and somebody loves you and uh, you're never a bother as well you're never a bother that's a good one yeah uh, so I always like bringing that up when we're talking about suicide or, you know, darker parts of, uh, stuff like that, yes. because we all, we all, you know, deal with our own issues. You're not alone in that. Absolutely. It, mental so health is very important. Yes. For, yeah. Therapy is great. I, I love therapy. <laughs> the thing <laughs> that holds me together, but yeah, reaching out doesn't make you any weaker. Actually makes you stronger. And that's a big thing. And having Absolutely. a really good yeah, taking system. care of yourself yes. is not a weak thing. Who's the number one priority? You. You're the first priority right. in everything. Everything else you, comes the second. Listener. Absolutely. Um, Our wonderful ghoulish nights. Yes. Stay ghoulish. And for him, stay scared. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good call. Like and subscribe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, um, yeah, after he sees all of this horrific imagery, he picks up the phone and she asks if he's ready to check out. That's when he says no and hangs up. The phone rings again. He picks it back up and she expresses that his wife is only five minutes away, that she'll be able to come straight up to the room. That's when he says that he can't have her and that he's going to end this. The phone begins to melt and disturbing things are being said as it melts. He looks at it again, and the phone is fine. He mutters that he has lived a life of selfish as a selfish man, but he will not die this way. That if he goes down, he's taking the room down with him. That's when he begins to make a, col- a Molotov cocktail. And I love that he's actually making a weapon of the thing that he used to like suppress everything. He's mm-hmm. like letting go of this by throwing it and letting it on fire. Yeah, his vice. Right. I also think cool that. It's interesting because it's one of the only things he brought into the room. 
That's um, true. Like something that he brought from outside of the room at, from the original like hotel into the room is what ends up saving him. So it makes me wonder if certain objects can't be touched. That's um, true. That's the only thing that stays consistently with him the entire time. Right. Computer kind of disappears. That is recorder. The room. Yeah. Every, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Which kind of is his, his internal thoughts that he brings with him in mm-hmm. a way. Yeah. His inner voice. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. There's a lot of symbolism in this movie. Um, he explains it may not be real, but this fire should be. He throws it, <laughs> lighting the entire bedroom on fire as he takes a cigarette and begins to light it. And I love that cigarette comes full round and he's able to smoke it. Uh-huh. Um, that's when the alarm goes off and everyone begins to evacuate. His wife is on the way and hops out of her taxi and starts to head for the hotel. Back to him, the fire is getting worse. The room is actually howling and what sounds like it's in pain. And that's when the sprinklers go off and he says that it's a waste of time. He begins to record that he rewards the Dolphin Hotel 10 skulls. And I love that he had like a skull meter of like how haunted mm-hmm. the place is. He's like 10 out of 10 would not recommend. Well, I think too, like he, I don't, I wonder if it is 10 out of 10. Cause I think we only you see hear him say five. Yeah. Because he, he says, like, uh, give him three out of five skulls. And he's like, you know what? Give him five or something like that. Right. And so I don't, it, it, in that moment, it reminded me of like a five out of five star or that's, skulls that's or whatever. He just, but you're probably right. It probably it. was, it probably was five out of 10. Um, because yeah, this is 10 out of 10 actually haunted. Right. But then, yeah, the other thought of, well, if it's five out of five, then he's giving it a 10. That's kind of funny because he's giving it like, this is place is super haunted uh, rating. <laughs> no, <that's right. laughs> Either one works. Haunted for sure. Yeah. Right. Not wrong. Um, so, I mean, he found his main goal, right? He found out that this does exist. Um, he throws something through the window, which allows the flames to get enough oxygen to explode the room. And I put here, it's like, holy shit, he's still alive as we see him crawl <laughs> in the next cut. Um, and he explains that the room won't kill again. He hears Katie's voice saying that everyone dies. That's when we see the fireman break in and grab him, becoming uh, safe outside of the room. He tells them not to go into the room, that it's evil. And that's when we see the 1408 sign as it melts. Then we cut to Gerald, giving a well-done speech about uh, Mike and all of his things that he did. It's like, well done, well done. And it's kind of fun. It's like, how did you know that's happening still? But sure. <laughs> right. uh, He's very involved. Well played. <laughs> yeah, I, think it's, he, I think it's because he hears the explosion. Right. Um, and so he's like, that's gotta be, that's gotta be Mike. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny um, how like, he kind of like doesn't talk to him ever again, but he just gives the acknowledgement, like, I should have trusted you. You were the one to like end the story of 1408 by getting did the story. We, did we talk about how smart he was in this whole plan? So he threw the, he throws the Molotov, lets the room start to burn. And then the sprinklers turn on because it's trying to like put out the fire and he says it won't work. And then he goes over to the window and opens the window to let an influx of oxygen into the room. And what happens when you, you know, put a bunch of oxygen into a fire is it acts as a catalyst making the the, um, fire expand even faster. Um, That's, you know, essentially creating, Hey, backdraft. Um, And uh, it, that's, you know, I think that might be when it explodes out the window. Um, 
but uh, I just thought it was funny that he and, and interesting that he thought it uh, that well or that much. Right. Um, very clever. Short, and short that's the thing where like even people like complimented him earlier, and especially like Daryl is like, "You're a clever guy. You're mm-hmm. very smart. You're, you're and I think that's a big thing. He's a very person who's very knowledgeable. He puts in the research. You see the investigation side of him. He gets the results that he wants. He gets everything that he wants because he's very particular, methodical in the way. Uh, we also talked about like his tradition, what he does when he first enters a room, he puts the cigarette down, he checks out all the like areas. He's very methodological, uh, methodical of how he does things. So uh, yeah, he's, he's very resourceful in a way. He's also got to see it through to the end. I mean, with the, the whole thing, thing with 1408 yeah. and also just being willing to let himself burn alive. Right. And it's one of the things like, I'm not going in your terms. I'm going in my own, taking a lot mm-hmm. of power in that too. And he embraces that moment. And it's a cool moment because, yeah, he's a badass by doing this. I mean, shit's lit, you know? That was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fire idea. Okay. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That was good. <laughs> so now we cut back to the hospital for real this time. I put here dot dot dot, I think. Because I, I was waiting for another twist, perhaps. Um, they said it was old wiring that started the fire. And that was a very interesting aspect, too. It's like they described it as old wiring, but maybe that was just their excuse to like not say that he threw a Molotov cocktail inside a hotel room to let him slide, I guess. Um, yeah, but they said it was old wiring that started the, uh, the fire. He can't believe that she's with him right now. And then they had a little back and forth, like, oh no, we're we're definitely in New York, not in LA, because he's still hesitant to see if it's uh-huh. real or not. Uh we cut to him writing his story and to, and he has this voiceover, it's like, believe what you want. No more ghost stories that he has officially checked out. She says that he wrote the book pretty fast, and he says that he already wrote the book in the previous um daydream sequences, essentially. And that's funny to think about too, and I wonder how much time passed of him being outside, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and then going back into the room. I, I mean, enough time for him, to, for her to leave and go back to New York right. and him to write an entire manuscript. Right. <laughs> and then once he gets to the post office, nope, just kidding. It's, uh, right. A month later, you're still back in the room. <laughs> Which goes back to what you were saying yeah. about time not passing the same in that room as it does yeah, outside. It's, it's great. I love that kind of stuff. Um, um, also, yeah. I think Gerald probably would have been the one to grease some palms, so to speak, uh, about making it, you know, so it was an electrical fire. Oh, in for that, sure. Uh, in fourteen oh eight, I think it's him covering him for sure. Yeah. Um, he he kept he wants to keep his recorder and explains sometimes you can't get rid of bad memories. I love that line too. There's a lot of good one liners where I'm just like, damn, that hits. Uh, <laughs> he sits at his desk and rewinds it. He listens, and then they begin to hear Katie's voice. Lily turned around in shock and almost in tears. He was able to record it. Lily uh, again just gasped, and it's a very touching moment. Then we get some dramatic music, and then credits. Man, what a movie. It's a pretty good movie. it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I think when we were talking about it in the beginning, you know, it's like, I really enjoyed this movie. Um... I don't know if I would say that it's like, you know, like you were saying the best movie or uh, like definitely not the scariest movie, but it's a fun movie. I laugh way too much during this movie. It's one of those things where 
it feels kind of lighthearted, but at the same time, just like enough spooky imagery to be like, oh yeah, it's still a scary movie in a way. Yeah. But it's and not, it deals like, with some very heavy scary. scares too. Oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think John Cusack being able to carry this movie was very impressive. Um, like as we both said, we wish there was a version with him and Samuel L. Jackson dealing with all of this. I think that would have been great. And then this runtime is pretty long too. It's about hour 45 minimum. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the pacing does feel long at times. That's maybe the only offside I have, but it, it works. I feel like they did enough where it tells a complete story and enough background information for each character that we actually care about him and his family and his relationships and be able, be able to overcome some like uh, mental health aspects of like how he's dealing with trauma and how alcohol is being something that is uh, suppressing it and how he does things. And he puts all of his time in his work. Like we can perfectly describe this character, which is great in the movie. That's very important. If you can't describe your character in a deep way, we can't really relate to him or care about his mm-hmm. well-being. So that's where this movie really shines in its character development and its story structure and how they play with things and how to mess with our own mind as much as he gets messed with in 1408. Us, we're in 1408 watching the movie. He's physically there. Mm-hmm. But we're like, yeah, a part of the story in a way. Yeah, but like you were saying earlier, man, there's parts of the movie where you're like, wait, is is he still in the room? Was he ever in the room? Is he back in the room? Is he still in the room? You know, it does enough messing with you to where you start to question what's going on, which is pretty, you know, not, you can't say that a lot of movies can do that. Yeah. Well, you know what? I do have some movie facts. Movie facts? Movie facts. As the page goes away, let me pull it back up. Oh, no. <laughs> That's it's right here. Almost. Boop. All right, so there's a lot of movie facts about this movie, so let's get right into it. In the movie, Mike, a.k.a. John Cusack, says to his recorder, hotel rooms are just naturally creepy places, don't you think? I mean, how many people have slept in that bed before you? How many of them were sick? How many were losing their minds? Stephen King wrote this explanatory note in 1408 in his compilation book of short stories. So that line came straight from that book. And I think it's one of the best lines, too, because we've probably all stayed in a hotel at one point or another. You know how many people oh, have slept in that same bed? And they could I look at hotels in a whole new way after COVID. <laughs> oh, that too, that's a big thing. And thankfully, like, hotels were, like, announced stuff and said, like, oh, we have new cleaning tactics. Like, why wasn't that a thing before? <laughs> before mm-hmm. COVID. It's like, mm-hmm. you should have been doing that way before. But thanks for doing it now, question mark. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh, this kind of goes into where our little catchphrase comes from. While addressing his audience at the book signing, Mike says, stay scared. This is a phrase traditionally used by director George A. Romero, a friend of Stephen King. Uh, Romero has said this in numerous conventions and often used it as part of his signature. That's cool. Rest in peace, sir. Yes. Rest in peace. The, oh, no, I just love that catchphrase even more. It has some like yeah, sentimental value. I actually didn't know that was one of his catchphrases. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that he like used the autograph stuff with that. Stay scared and yeah, signs his name. That's, that's great. Yeah. Um, at one point in the movie, Mike wears a hat that says, Paranoia is total awareness. This is a nod to one of Stephen King's favorite quotes. Perfect paranoia is perfect awareness. That's cool. I missed that. 
Oh, okay. So this is a big thing. In standard edition, DVD runtime is exactly 104 minutes. I'm referring directly to the movie's title. Oh, that's so sick. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the movie runtime is 144.08. Again, referring to the title. That's cool. That is smart. Huh. Let me see if I can get some more juicy ones. Oh, okay. Due to alleged paranormal activity... The Emily Morgan Hotel in San Antonio, Texas, has sealed one of their rooms. 1408. Huh. That is terrifying. That's like a real life thing. Yeah, that's a real life thing. Oh, that's wild. Uh, and then there's another one that apparently the movie or story had to do with real life suicides at a hotel. So I don't want to share that. It's kind of dark. Um, this is John Cusack's second appearance in Stephen King's film adaptation the first was Stand By Me that's right he plays the brother Stand By Me is one of my favorite movies of all time I love that movie so much it makes me cry every single watch and I hate it what in the world did you just do to my brain I gotta go watch Stand By Me again that's like a baby Cusack oh yeah no he's like a teenager holy moly he's the baseball player the, the son that they loved but passed away yeah yeah that's wild. Such it's such a small thing, but at the same time, like what? Yeah. Oh, they have your fun fact too about the equals thirteen. In addition oh, to nice. previous numbers adding up to thirteen, the hotel is mentioned to be at two two five four Lexington Street in New York City, which also adds up to thirteen. There's a lot of playing numbers in here, and I love that. Oh, Keanu Reeves was attached to playing the lead actor in the movie. Oh, that would have been a completely different movie. <laughs> that would have been very interesting. Yeah. Have you? Uh, I'll we'll talk off air about something about Keanu Reeves. But, <laughs> All um, good things I hope he's a saint. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll leave with this last one. At various times during the scene when John Cusack enters the room, opening chords are from the same theme of Creep Show, and that could be heard. That's, That's cool. cool. A lot of cool fun facts. Uh, yeah, this movie. I I think I really enjoyed it. There are some things yeah. I would change, but overall, it was a very fun experience. And it was very mind-bending because it did get me, even on my rewatch. And I think it helps, if you haven't watched this movie in a long time, to revisit it. Um, and I'm still, like, yeah, proud of that Ron Tomato score. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Like I was saying earlier, the the uh, comedic bits hit really well. Yes. I, I feel like the comedic b- moments in this movie made me laugh every single, almost every single time. It's so good. But on the flip side being a horror film being something that's supposed to make you feel that adrenaline make you feel scared i didn't feel that very much throughout the film i just thought yeah. it was a lot of fun I, yeah, it was a lot I of think fun there was a very fun movie but not scary movie. yeah there you go yeah uh any last thoughts on the movie i think that's it well you know what i really appreciate you helping me out and being on all these episodes i'm sure it's not gonna be the last time but big shout out to you where can people find you uh, you can find me at Phil J Woodward on Twitter or at Philip J Woodward most places. Uh, you can also check us out at simplysassyvids.com or uh, youtube.com slash simplysassyvids where we do interviews with cool people such as Prince and Freddie. Hey. Um, not to mention Rahul Kohli from Hell Wonderful yeah. Midnight Mass uh, and m- many other things. Um, and yeah, I, I really hope that everyone out there... Uh, enjoys hearing uh, us talk about movies i hope that i lived up to the amazing trio that does this every week 
Totally. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Shout out to Forest Knight. Thank you. Yes. The Forest Knight. Officially. <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure talking to you and talking about movies and stuff like that. You're the best. Oh, thank you. Well, this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Freddie, also known as Night, uh, Nighty Night. And alongside me, we have... Philip J. Woodward, The Forest Knight. Also known as Forest Knight. Our efforts to get our show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Reading us with five stars is very helpful, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would enjoy it. You can further support the show over at patreon.com for slash uh, nightlight underscore pod. That's night with a what? K. K. By pledging on Patreon, you will have access to the show as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And don't forget, everyone, your nightlight.